0: Love, talk radio
1: hello everybody and welcome to this edition of v radio uh jacques and roxanne will be joining me uh a little later uh they had some surprise visitors but um i am still uh on the line here with chris and i'm sorry what was the other gentleman's name brian chris and brian uh the the two gentlemen who uh started um journey to venus uh basically they i guess from what i understand is they sold everything they owned and uh went to venus florida to meet jock and um roxanne meadows so um hi uh how are you guys doing tonight
2: hello wonderful yeah we're doing well just in venus helping out yeah
1: how are you <laughs> i'm all right other than the fact that i'm going to warn my listeners i still have that annoying cold or at least it's refusing to die um so you're gonna hear the typical, at least it's becoming typical, V-radio coughing that sounds like my liver is coming up out of my mouth. Um, but don't worry, if it does, I'll be sure to end the, sh- I'll be sure to stick around till the end of the show before I go to the hospital. I won't leave you guys hanging or anything. Oh,
2: wonderful! I appreciate that dedication.
1: <laughs> anyway, uh, so one at a time. Uh, let's start with Chris. Um, introduce yourself and uh, give us a little background on yourself. Okay,
2: I'm Chris Lemmick, and um, very quickly, I'll go way back. I was born and raised in Rochester, New York. Uh, Recently, I've been living in Los Angeles, California, where I've been spending lots of time, you know, trying to figure out where my life was going. And um, in early January, I was exposed to Zeitgeist Addendum, which um, offered me the, the... the Alternative Society vision of Jacques Fresco and the Venus Project, Aunt Brian, who's here with me. And he uh, and we kind of figured from there we had to change our lives dramatically. I, I, I'm i not sure how far back you wanted me to go into some of my backstory, but uh, that is well,
1: the... Well, oh, let me ask you basically, like, for example, be, who were you before uh, the Venus Project? Like, what were your political affiliations? I mean, were you... Did you even think about politics before you watched Zeitgeist Addendum? I mean, you know, that kind of basically, what brought you to where you are now? How much of a transformation was it?
2: Well, I I was a huge um, believer in the downfall of the monetary system as we know it. I've been a big follower of Ron Paul and that whole movement, so I understood, and I've done a lot of research into the Federal Reserve System and the fiat currency we have in this country, so I was... Well aware of all of that, and like I say, I was a big Ron Paul believer in the gold standard and let's go back to the Constitution and, you know, living in West Hollywood, California, there weren't that many people like me, so it was always a big challenge to try and, you know, compete with, or to to debate with someone about, you know, monetary policy and things like that, Um, so... Yeah, that's been basically my political affiliations, and and I was big into that. I mean, I did the the Revolution March in Washington, the Rally for the Republic in Minneapolis. I was, it was, you know, there was a big uh, part of my life spent researching and learning about the government and the country and the monetary system as we know it, and as the economy was kind of falling apart, I felt like I had already been a few steps ahead of the game with what I had been researching, so... Yeah, that was where I stood. Then the Venus Project changed everything, so that's kind of that. And, uh,
1: yeah. Hello? Sorry about that. Uh, My mic was muted and I didn't know. All right. Um, Now, Brian, if you could give us the same background um, about what your circumstances were before the Venus Project.
2: Sure uh, I actually I moved to Los Angeles in uh, 2003 to go to law school of all things and I finished that and while I was in law school, you know I started to tap into you know the, the constitutional background and you know kind of the the place where our legal system started from and I had some interest in that as far as you know seeing where we were today and how we had transitioned so far from, you know, the basic foundations that really our whole system started from. And so I also was a massive supporter of Ron Paul. Actually, when Chris and I met, that was one of the things that, you know, we really hit it off on um, was our support of Ron Paul. Um, We did the Revolution March, like you said. We did the uh, Rally for the Republic in Minneapolis. You know, and this whole time we were really out there, you know, really supporting Ron Paul and spreading the – um, message that he stood for, the campaign for liberty, all that, to as many people as possible. Um, you know, and within that whole time, we had really started to invest, you know, listening to Peter Schiff, getting information about the economy and, you know, kind of the whole corrupt Ponzi scheme system that we're all a part of, you know, by choice or no choice. And, um, you know, then come January of this year, I mean, not even that long ago, we watched Zeitgeist Agendas. And we had seen the original Zeitgeist. Um, you know, and then someone, someone mentioned that there was a, as I got them, we were interested to see sort of how that had transitioned from, uh, you know, kind of the message from the original zeitgeist like into something that was more solution-oriented. And we got introduced to the Venus Project, and it was one of those moments where your mind kind of just completely is blown. And it's like, for me personally, I really, it was like I had no choice but to change that lifestyle I was living in LA and you know we had already like Chris said we had already kind of tapped into the idea that the money system and the economy and all of that A was falling and B was really just a big facade and so transitioning away from that and kind of stepping out of the whole political uh, realm of the Ron Paul sphere and kind of saying okay this is something that is much bigger and much more universal than you know a political candidate and you know, now what we did with Journey to Venus was we basically came up with we wanted to figure out how we could spread the message of the Venus project um, in a way that was non-abrasive, because you know a lot of times when these people, you know, when people in general find out about these different concepts or these different groups or organizations that they are really passionate about, you know, sometimes it's just very forceful how people spread the message. So we were like, you know, what can we do that's really outside of the box that We'll bring people to us um, and kind of start conversations. So, you know, we're two guys living in L.A. who have never really done any sort of biking or or anything like that. Yeah, we bought the bikes four days before we left on the
1: bike trip across the country. Yeah,
2: so so we decided what what should we do that would really get get it out there, And, and we came up with the idea to bike across the country. It was kind of a, what's the craziest thing we can do to draw attention but still won't lose credibility in terms of people being like, whoa, they're so crazy. So I right. guess it, it seems to have worked out because, like, you know, having 60 pounds of stuff, necessary stuff for living, strapped to the back of a bicycle, riding through towns and cities big and small in the United States, tends to draw attention. And it, it worked. You know, that was our theory, and it yeah. worked to a point. You so, know. you know, we had we had a friend of ours um, – design a website for us, and, you know, our whole thing was we're just going to kind of, you know, uh, blog this whole thing, put some videos out there, put some editorial out there, and just, you know, spread this concept as much as we can. You know, when we first started, our website was really geared toward our trip specifically. And, you know, as time went on and the more we learned about the Venus Project and the more we were out there, you know, really discussing it with people, we sort of transitioned it more for being an, another outlet for the Venus Project and, and the message in general behind it. And, you know, it took us about 11 weeks, and we ended up cheating a little. <laughs> <laughs> the last 1,000 miles, we rented a car. <laughs> we, we biked about 2,000 miles, so, you know, we feel we did a good thing <laughs> it. The thing was, we thought, as, as time went on, the whole process kind of evolved. It, it kind of, we didn't really... We watched Zeitgeist Addendum probably January 10th, and by February 2nd, we had everything we owned sold, and we were hitting, getting on the road. So, and we really didn't formulate how the website would go. We kind of let it evolve naturally, and so it started out like Brian said, as a personal like, "This is our bike trip," and then it went into evolving into sharing the message of the Venus Project, and then we realized the biking actually was holding us back, and we really wanted to get down here and see if Jacques and Roxanne needed help because, like I say, biking seven hours a day kind of takes away from us. We, we couldn't really talk to people are biking. It was more of as we arrived in towns, people would see us and they would come to us. So it right. wasn't getting out as much as we, we, we kind of um, sent word out to a lot of mainstream media outlets and stuff like that. We didn't get a lot of. Feedback in terms of nobody really called us, um, and so we felt that you know maybe it'd be more wise of us and more effective if we just got to Venus. And right here we are.
1: Here we are. <laughs> um, actually, like a question from the listeners in the chat room. Um, to those of you who have not tuned into the chat room yet, um, I have in fact activated the chat room. Uh, for those of you who are new to Blog Talk Radio, there should be a chat feature. Um, you should be able to see that. In fact, generally, when you're at the episode page, if you scroll down, the chat room is usually there. Uh, anyway, as I was saying, uh, one of the suggestions in the chat room is, how would you guys? How do you guys feel about the concept of perhaps like a large-scale marathon to the Venus Project, like just people riding their bikes from all over the country to get attention?
2: I think that would be amazing. You know, and yeah. we were actually talking today just looking at some of the footage we have, you know, if it was done in a way that there were people riding and also people filming it, it would be a much more, in my opinion, a much more uh, dynamic event. But, I mean, I think that would be something that would be incredible because it really is um, something that gets a lot of attention and yeah. really gets people talking. Yeah, like totally. I completely agree with that. It's the biking thing. And if we got it on, like, a mass scale where there was people from every city and every town biking to one destination, I can't imagine, I don't know what would be the media's problem with someone somewhere along the line picking that up. I mean, that's, I think, the whole goal of this is kind of getting the attention for it and getting more and more people educated on the idea and the concept. And so it really needs to be, things need to be done to draw attention to it. And, you know, on this point, just to throw in quickly, we've actually, while we were on the trip and since finishing it, we've had, quite a few people who have emailed us saying that they have similar ideas or since seeing what we've done, they've wanted to do a similar bicycle trip and film it or make a documentary or whatever it is. So there definitely is this environment out there where people are wanting to do that. I think that'd be great.
1: Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> um, I don't think I could make it, but uh, <laughs> yeah, um,
2: not doing it again if we had to do it again if it would help we'd absolutely do it again but we don't have fun doing all that biking
1: (laughs) well if you were with like maybe a couple hundred people or something like-minded people and going places i think you know that could probably be a bit more fun but yeah i know where you're coming from i mean maybe we could try to at some point put together something like the revolution march for the zeitgeist movement i think that would be great um Unfortunately, being one of the people who helped to organize that, I can tell you that those are those things are huge undertakings, and you have to get all these that. crazy permits and uh, you know stuff like that. I mean, it, 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 everything that goes into it, you have to get. I mean, they had, had all kinds of money donated to them because you have to do things like you know get toilet facilities and feed people, and you know it just it's a big deal, but. Um, in any case, though, um, now that I, I guess um, I would focus a little bit more on, you know, we've talked a little bit about what you guys were like beforehand. Um, like, uh, let, let's say, for example, like before the Venus Project, who did you think you were voting for for president?
2: Ron Paul. Yeah, we both wrote in Ron Paul in California. Yeah, they counted him in his votes in California.
1: <laughs> excellent, excellent. Yeah, I used to be a Ron Paul guy myself. Um, I wouldn't say I'm not a Ron Paul guy anymore. I, I just deviate with him on the the free market. Uh, but anyway, um, and has has your essentially has, has the Venus Project in your understanding of the ideas of resource-based economies? Has that changed your your thoughts on who it is that you might support if you know a presidential election came up? I, I
2: would say yes. I'm I'm a strong believer now in this format of of a society. I I, I can't you know. I, you know, it's hard because I try and theorize about, um, I think, if we were to go back to an economy, and this is in a monetary system, a real economy where there was a gold standard which would right away limit the actual amount of money in the world. There, but, but see, the resources, and this is just a theory. I'm not, you know, I'm sitting here still strong advocate for resource-based society, <laughs> But um, if we went to a gold standard and there was only a very limited amount of money then that could actually be in existence, yet there was all these resources and things people wanted, it would almost force people to go into a resource-based system because there would only be so much money that could actually be used, but there would be all these resources and things in the world that people would have to almost evolve to a place if we still wanted to use the resources and things like that. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, yeah, I understand where you're coming from. Um, so it's
2: almost like I'm I, anyone who believes you a fiat currency in this Federal Reserve system, anyone who isn't voicing against that, I have a problem with and couldn't vote for now, and that being said, as far as you know the actual the candidate like we were saying if we would change the the vote I mean as far as within the political system and within the monetary system, Ron Paul is still one of the main people who stands out to me as someone who gets it and someone that wants to at least modify the system that we're in in as much of a positive way as possible, in a way that is real, in a way that there is actually, you know, some some foundation behind it other than numbers on paper and, you know, everything that's just really a facade. Um, But I will say since finding out about the Venus Project, I mean, my – Daily visits of going to all these different political websites and all these different, you know, independent news sources has dramatically decreased just because it's kind of like I've started to just step outside of even thinking about the political and economic um, issues, you know, that we're in.
1: No, I understand. That basically kind of happened to me in a lot of ways, too. Um, I kept track of Congressman Dennis Kucinich because I believe I told you guys about this earlier. Um, aside from also being one of Ron Paul's um, only allies in the Congress from the other side of the aisle, even um, in fact, because Ron Paul has like no allies on his side,
2: um, <laughs>
1: yeah. uh, is is the fact that I had a b- brief correspondence with his wife on MySpace, and then she told me that to, you know to get a hold of him at his congressional office, you know that she wouldn't really be the person to talk to. But a few days after that, on his uh, on the blog for his MySpace, Dennis Kucinich started talking about reforming the monetary system and creating a world that was sustainable for all people. So, and then as I watched him on C-SPAN, he started to say things that were just like, they were quotes from Zeitgeist. Like he said, the Federal Reserve is is as federal as Federal Express. Um, He also recommended the video Money as Debt um, to all of the people on his mailing list. And money as debt is kind of like a really like short version of Zeitgeist Addendum. It doesn't have any conspiracy theory stuff in it, but it basically just talks about the money system and then suggests that we should consider what it basically amounts to a resource based economy. So I think he's on board. And I got to tell you, I mean, if he ever really does come forward about it, then inevitably I'm definitely going to be shouting for him. I always liked him anyway. Um, I was, uh, I worked for Senator Mike Gravel. I don't know if you guys watched him in the debates at all, but he was kind of the fiery old man with the glasses who, um, Uh, he's a really, I mean, he, he's 72 years, well, now 73 years old and he read the Pentagon papers, uh, way back in the Vietnam era into public record, exposing the lies that the Pentagon was telling people about what was going on in Vietnam. Risked his life really, uh, um, and he got back into politics because of the fact that he just couldn't stand the fact that you know there was a new Vietnam; it was calling itself Iraq. Uh, but anyway, uh, a bit more back on topic here. Uh, the listeners would like you to expound a little bit on your experiences. Uh, like, what were some of the responses of the people that you have connected with along your journey?
2: You know, it's funny because we were I mean, we were the entire time in the southern part of the country. And yet, you know, with, with each city that we went into, we bumped into people from all different walks of life, all different ages, all different religious and political beliefs or opinions. And I would say that more often than not, we always got really positive feedback. I think, you know, it's, we're in one of those times right now with the economy being what it is that people are starting to think outside the box. And a lot of people who never had before, you know, now that they're they're losing their jobs, they're losing their houses, you know, there's almost this force force now that people have to start thinking outside of the box. And, you know, so we had some some great conversations and some great feedback from a lot of people. That being said, you know, we had the people who said, you know, we were communists, we had the people who said, you know, the Venus Project sounds like a cult or sounds like, you know, all these different things where, you know, people who really kind of looked into it, kind of kind of judged it just based on certain things, but I would definitely say that in the 12 weeks or so we were on the road that the vast majority of the people that we came in contact with really got the fact that money is a serious problem and it's very limiting and that we are all enslaved to the system and that if there was another alternative out there, they would be very apt to supporting it educating themselves about it, and, you know, really just getting behind
1: it. Well, you know, um, in my experience, because I'm still a libertarian and I still deal with, like, a lot of Ron Paul, you know, people on a day-to-day basis that I befriended during my time working, you know, in the Ron Paul Revolution, uh, generally what I have found is that the most ardent defenders of the current system, particularly the capitalist parts of it, are the ones who are doing well, Uh, the, the ones that are just doing okay Uh, You know, those are the ones who are like, oh, there's nothing wrong with the system, Um, you know, and basically, oh, great. Apparently, we lost our audio again, but I'm pretty sure that this will come up in the uh, archives either way. If any luck, it'll start up again. Um, All right. Hold on a second. No worries. Oh, okay. Apparently it restarted. Oh, wait. I'm going to ask the people in the chat room one more time. I apologize to those of you who are just listening to this on archive. Uh, This actually happened to Peter Joseph earlier today um, where just the sound just cut out. Um, It still says I'm connected. That's the the strange thing, actually. Um, (coughs) Okay. Some of us can still hear you. Okay. Well, I'm going to recommend to the listeners to refresh the page Uh, which used used to work Uh, and some of the other (laughs) experiments I've done. In the meantime, I will be sending letters to Blog Talk for screwing up two of our, you know, things. Uh, Anyway, um, you see, if we live in a resource-based economy, then people wouldn't be cutting corners. (laughs) There you go, exactly. (laughs) That's right. Okay, so anyway – the The people who most ardently defend the capitalist system are the ones that are doing well uh, the ones that are making money uh the ones who have never been unemployed, you know uh, things of that nature you know they have a tendency to um, um, that those are the ones that think that there's nothing wrong because of course they can't see anything wrong now for me, I was defending the free market principles while they were failing me um, here in michigan you um, basically Um, uh, here in Michigan you basically see the failures of both capitalism and socialism at the same time because the capitalists have essentially abandoned the people here so the economy has crashed Um, and then they're trying to patch that with socialist programs like welfare and the socialist programs don't have any money because nobody's spending any money to be taxed so as a result um, the whole system is just crashing Uh, when I ran for Congress one of my Friends who is also running for Congress in a different district, um, he uh, he said that um, you know that what he th- he thinks that um, what's happening in Michigan is probably going to happen all over the United States, and I, I tend to agree with him. Um, now, um, did you guys have any say funny stories about all of this? Like maybe just any just out there crazy people that might you know the story might entertain our listeners.
2: Judy, Judy Gilker. <laughs> we met a really, oh, my gosh, we should have messaged her to listen to this. Uh, we met a really phenomenal woman in Fredericksburg, Texas. I mean, I know it wasn't, I mean, she immediately when we started talking about our, our 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 journey, our reason for why we were biking, she immediately kind of put up a, Defensive response to it is though she, like, what lines? You mean? know, a lot of times with, with the Venus Project, a lot of people like to use the word utopia. They think that it is, you know, this concept that, oh, if we just went to a resource based society, all humans would be loving and caring and there would be no evil, which, you know, obviously facts are facts. Conditioning and, and experiences and all of these things lead people to do different things. Well, she was coming from this place that she said oh you know you're just like all the other ones who do these things you you just assume that humans are all humans are good and that there isn't any evil and you know she went into the like like spiritual side of it and the religious side of it and she said you know she's like saved children from satan cults and stuff and i don't doubt that that exists but she kind of she was just a phenomenal character who i adore and i i, I I will be friends with her for the rest of my life because she's just one of those people. It was just her immediate reaction was almost like she kind of came at us as though we're the craziest people on the planet and cut through the next day we're helping her clean the house of her, some woman whose husband had a stroke who she just decided to go help and we became the greatest of friends and... And, you know, by the end of it, you know, when we have spent more time, you know, talking about what a resource-based system really is and, you know, really going into the fact that conditioning and all of these, all of the things that we experience from the moment we are born, I mean, from the moment we're conceived, really, whether it be the chemicals in our mother's bodies or, or the genes, whatever it is, you know, all of those things affect affect who we become and the actions that we take later in life. And once we really got into that, we talked about the resource-based economy and how, you know, it could be possible to educate people in a real way, not, not educate people so they get degrees or that they get some certificate they can put on a wall, but educate people with practical knowledge on how they can address the problems of today. And, you know, after spending a day or two with her, she is like, she was so supportive. Of yeah, she we're basically all on the same. Ta- I mean, she was on the same page as us. You know, she just—it was one of those things which I—I I don't even know. If I to the listeners, I don't know if this is even a funny story. <laughs> it is, if you knew her, you'd like be laughing and, and enjoying the story. But maybe it's more. No, it's but, still a
1: good story. It's still a good story. Please go on. Yeah,
2: well, what it was is like you know, it seems to be a common you know misconception and a response from people. That immediately when we start talking about it in terms of you know how we how there is like a method or there is a, a scenario where we can alleviate certain things in the world like homelessness and war and and poverty and hunger and stuff like that, you know, they automatically jump, oh, you know, it's not possible. People are greedy and selfish and evil and this and that, and it's not possible. And, and, and they go to that, that, that you want utopia and this and that. And then, you know, when you start explaining it as though, well, this is what, you know, this is, these things are results of the system and the society we're in, and you start breaking it down and you use science because it's not just an opinion, it's just, it's just, it is what it is. It's science, you know. It's it's proving the fact that these things are results of the society we're in. She started getting it, and not, not that she was getting it more. She just was open to it when it's described that way, which is why this education on this topic is the biggest thing, you know. You know, and then we we were in Fredericksburg with her, and so the next our next destination was Austin. And when we said goodbye to her, the last one of the last things that she said was. Oh, be careful, it's a bunch of liberals there. <laughs> you know, it is funny because we're sitting here, we're like, you know, in the terms of, you know, everyone kind of applies their own meaning to the words liberals and conservatives, and, you know, there's all these different ways in that they you know, apply.
1: Oh, just to, to add some to that really quickly before you go on. Um, sorry. Sure. <coughs> sorry. In my job as a moderator for the Venus Project section of the Zeitgeist forums, I constantly deal with people who think that we're actually them, so we have communists who claim that, that, you know, that we're just them, and we have anarchists who claim that we're just them. So you, know, <laughs> you have people from totally different groups of the spectrum, t- types of the spectrum, just opposites of each other, who are claiming that we are actually them and that we're just slightly misguided. Um, <laughs> I, I got so sick of the labels, just even, even when I was just a libertarian. They jump on those labels. It's almost yeah. like dealing with a racist. It's like socialist collectivist, you know, humanist, uh, you know, just the the words that they throw. It's so many ists, you know, that they, they use for people, you know, and uh, it, it generally just gets in the way, honestly, and that's one of the reasons why I think Jacques is right about having one language, you know. Um, but anyway, um, in any case, uh, one of the uh, listeners is saying, this is my ego right here, but I was the first on the forums to recommend that I interview you guys.
3: <laughs>
1: you know, honestly, the, the story is, is that it just kind of fell in my lap. I had always intended to try to figure out a way to contact you guys, but um, it's, it's much easier now that you're just in Venus, you know, Florida, and since I talk to Jacques and Roxanne on a regular basis, you know, um, it certainly makes things easier. Now, um, did you guys have any problems with, like, say, the authorities? Like, did the police harass you or anything like that? You know,
2: we actually, there was only one incident and it was because when we were, it was when we were in Frederick, actually, same place in that Jody Gowler, we, uh, our camp site that we were staying at, because we camp most of the time on our way, you know, there's a few times that we got hotels, but more often than not, we were, we were camping or either staying with people via, you know, different social networks and we were hitchhiking into the town. Well, we were walking into the town from our campsite, which was like three miles away, you know, and it was a nice, beautiful day. We're in Texas, you know, all we hear is Southern hospitality and, you know, people are nice. So we're like, you know, we're walking up the side of this road. It's beautiful. It's the middle of the day. Let's just see if someone wants to ride a couple miles into town. You know, I swear to you, we probably were walking, I mean, for a good 30 or 45 minutes, being passed by SUVs and massive trucks with one or two people in that, in them tons of seats available and people would smile at us people would wave at us some people would you know give us this look that we were like we were crazy not one person even thought about stopping you know just a side note the whole time that we're walking we're sitting here talking about you know what a waste of resources all this <laughs> yeah. stuff is because you see these like individuals driving these huge trucks with you know eight seats today they wouldn't even think about stopping or picking up us. and uh, then we're walking and all of a sudden the cop comes up to us and pulls over and asks us for our ID and, you know, someone claims that we were flipping people off and, you know, yelling and cursing at people because no one would pick us up, which just wasn't true. Um, you know, and then we had a, a short conversation with him, told him what we were doing, and he was fine, and, you know, that was that. But other than that, we really didn't have any issues. Yeah. Was, it was smooth selling other than weather. It was a really smooth yeah. trip
1: yeah I imagine cycling in the uh the rain would have to be uh pretty capital
2: yeah <laughs> yeah especially if we were carrying you know two hard drives, two laptops uh film equipment film equi- oh, yeah video camera tripod all that stuff that oh, the wow. to last- get wet yeah so we never i mean when it was raining, we never actually biked, but we spent many a days trapped in our tent <laughs> with very heavy rainfall, which is not a fun experience, I can no. tell you that. Oh, uh, yeah, that's the least favorite part.
1: Man, that, that's, you guys are troopers, let me tell you. Um, you know, if we can get this kind of dedication out of people, that's the funny thing is there are so many naysayers that would say that we're never going to be able to motivate anybody to do something like, say, you know, build a... A resource allocation center why would anybody want to do that yet we got these two guys you know who just want to spread awareness so they get on their bicycles and ride seven hours a day you know like a thousand what was it a thousand miles uh
2: we did two we did two thousand miles on the bike yeah. a little over two thousand miles so yeah You know, and and going off of what you just said, since we've been here and, you know, just been spending time helping, you know, Jacques and my families, all the different workings of the Venus Project, people would be shocked at the amount of people who email in to the Venus Project every day saying, I want to help. How can I get involved? What can I do? Or here are my talents. Here is my background. How can it be utilized? You know, and it's one of those things that, Right now, the whole goal of the Venus Project is to get this information out there to as many people as possible and educate people on a massive level. And But there is certainly, I mean, without a doubt, there are hundreds of people who email every week who are ready to make the next move.
1: Yeah, that's, you know, I deal with the same thing constantly as a spokesman for the Venus Project. I deal with people who are just so desperate that they, you know, they want to do something. And I, I generally have to explain to them, as Roxanne has explained to me, that, you know, it, there's not really as much to do yet as people might think. You know, it's not like we're grabbing shovels and building anything just yet. So I just hope that people keep that same energy. Um, now, another question from the listeners. Uh, did it take a lot of funds to take this trip? Did you forage at all?
2: Um, it, it, it kind of was more expensive than we expected it to be. Um, but, uh you know, thanks to JP Morgan and the Citibank guys who, uh, who have, uh, set us up with these cards for the past few years and, and, and since they run a system that has bankruptcy already, uh, Worked into it, we figured we'd volunteer to be a couple of the people who would be worked into that system, and <laughs> now we'd use their money for it. You know, if you got it, you use it. While we're so part of the system, we're like, why not? But I mean, with yeah. that being said, it wasn't like we financed this I whole know. thing via, via credit cards <laughs> no, no, or anything right. like that. And, you know, we also had people who we met along the way, friends and family, people who got onto the website that would donate money or people. I mean, we had a couple of people slip us money along the way. So, you know, people people are really helpful. Talking about money, it's interesting because, you know, the whole thing about the Venus Project is that this is a resource-based system. And, you know, a lot of people have that, well, if you're trying to get a resource-based system, then why are you still living with money or why do you still need money? And, you know, it's one of those things that it's, so that's just kind of common sense that it's like, hello, people, we're still in the monetary system. We're just trying to, you know, cycle out of it. But, you know, it did cost us a bit more than we anticipated. But, you know, it's one of those things that the experience itself is far greater and far outweighs any sort of monetary expense that, it that it, you know, we occurred. Right. Now, I have to say the stars in the show are here. Jacques oh, and Roxanne just walked. Woo yeah. <laughs> So just to let you know, if you have questions for them, they, I'm sure they
1: want to and talk. Actually, to I mean, said. if we're gonna do an introduction, I've got one of those really snappy uh, radio voices. So here it goes. And now introducing Jacques Fresco and Roxanne Meadows of the Venus Project.
2: Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> <That's>
3: awful. <laughs> hey, Neil.
1: Hello, Roxanne. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. How
2: are you, Neil?
1: Um, I'm doing a little better. I I still have this uh, cold that's insisting on not drying out of my lungs, but um, other than that, I'm doing okay. It's great to have you on my show. Uh, it's great to have all my guests today. I got you know we're just packed with good guests tonight, um, and uh, I hope that the listeners appreciate it because. Uh, <laughs> Um basically it, it does actually take some effort to put these shows on, guys. Um I generally have to you know, I gotta put all of my family affairs in order and um, you know, make sure everything's fine to sit down in two hours or one place without making any noise from, you know, like my one year old or my three year old child. Um <laughs> But anyway, we're here. Um and um welcome to V Radio. Uh, it's an honor to finally have the two of you on. I hope that perhaps in the future we'll be able to have you on even more. Um and uh I guess uh, we were just—I was just talking to these two young men, um, and uh, the question I was going to ask them now, uh, before we get on into what I was going to ask you, uh, you Jacques and uh, Roxanne, was um, so what is life like for you now, and what are your future plans? Start with the life now, then move on to what is it that you plan to do for the future. Well,
0: I, know. I think they was going to ask Brian, and, and oh, sorry, is,
1: um, is that question for
2: Brian yeah. and Chris? No.
1: Yes, it is. I just want to uh, finish up with you guys.
2: All right. Uh, life now is we're here in Venus, um, you know, helping out with whatever we can where, you know, whether it be things with, you know, helping with communication via email and which is ridiculous the amount of emails that Roxanne gets every day, uh, you know, to videos for the website. to just a bunch of different projects that are going on. So at this time, we're here, we're helping, we're loving it. Um, yeah, it's been magical, to be honest with you. Jacques and Roxanne are true amazing people. <laughs> like, I don't know what more to say. Uh, they're so dedicated to this. It's literally a 24-hour-a-day process. And, uh, yeah, we're here until they kick us out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you keep saying that. I remember. I remember hearing that actually earlier. That's pretty funny. Um, uh, well, basically, um, and now uh, you know, I would have to say, you know, it's once again, it's great to have all of you on here. And um, I, I, you know, uh, Jacques, I was curious. Um, how was? I never got a chance to ask you this. Um, how was? How was your experience in Michigan um, after we finished talking? Did you guys reach anybody? You know, did you, did you have any other highlights that you would like to share?
0: Uh, no, we always get about the same kind of reception, no matter where we're at whether we're in New York or California, it's always the same. Everybody seems pleased, and uh, they, they appear to be satisfied with the, most of the questions that they ask.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so I would say it's about always about the same, and uh, I guess I'm satisfied with it, that Excellent. people are still interested mm. in social change
1: well i'm definitely
3: so after the lecture and even after the questions and answers to hang around and ask more questions <laughs> pretty much anywhere we go
1: yeah that's i you know i was definitely one of those people but i wasn't there on my own and i didn't want to keep my friend with me forever but um i definitely very much enjoyed that lecture now are you guys going to be giving any lectures at any um any other universities soon that you'd like to tell the listeners about
3: Actually, right now there's nothing else scheduled.
1: Okay. Um, now, still uh,
3: posted on our website.
1: Okay. Now, like when in that instance in particular. Now, I mean, is there anything that students can do to to kind of help this happen? I mean, is that what happened before? I mean, did did students get involved and request that you guys be able to speak, or how did it happen? Yeah. Yeah.
3: Actually, the last lecture was interesting because it, it was a student's initiative. And at first there was a little hesitation from one person on the board. They wanted to have somebody come up after the lecture when, when they found out the system was against money or uh, you know, surpasses money. They wanted to have somebody come up and talk against the, what Jack was going to speak about. <laughs> and I never heard anybody else do that. So the, the student said, okay, I'll have my environmental uh, professor come up and talk. And she said, oh, no, no, somebody has to talk against it. So um, it ended up he he got about a dozen professors behind him and a lot of students and they went and asked if if John could speak and they they let him speak.
1: Well, that's excellent. No, I I'd love to. Uh, I, I, it's really hard for me actually. I remember that from the from the time in question. I went through the same thing during my my campaign with Senator Gravel. Uh, you know you you get to a point where it's it's so hard for me just to sit there and shut up because you know I want to respect the the, the speakers but sometimes you know I just the, the I guess the the verbal fighter in me wants to get in the ring so to speak um and uh that's why I always try to make sure I don't step on any toes um and but you guys have been great and uh I I have to say that um I'm really glad that I have the Venus project in my life right now because Uh, it really is probably one of the only good things going on with me that helps give me hope. Um, I mean, with the, with, you know, seeing Jacques story, you know, and getting through the great depression, you know, really is an inspiration to me now that he can rise from, you know, like kind of like a Phoenix from the ashes in that situation, because that's essentially what Michigan is right now. It's, it's the great depression. I mean, probably obviously not as bad, but um, man, it's certainly getting there. Um, Now, um, I guess, uh, you know, we, we've talked, and I'm trying to think of things that I could ask you that have not been asked on the shows previously. Um, and, uh, I'm going to ask the, the people in the chat room, uh, if you have any questions for Mr. Fresco and Roxanne Meadows, you know, to please bring them up because then I know that I'm not asking them to repeat the same information that they've already repeated so many times before. Um, and, uh, you know, and we, we've covered a lot, you know, in our conversations previously about, for example, why this is not communism, why this is not socialism is the one that I usually have to deal with. But, um, you know, I, I remember, uh, you know, the other various things that, you know, go on, you know, people will try to, you know, the, the, the anarchists want to claim us too. Um, and I guess, um, Jacques, can you comment um, just on like, can you tell the story of um, w- what happened when you went to a Marxist meeting and what your disagreements with them were
0: I really didn't have any disagreements I asked uh, at a communist a young communist league how they would prevent corruption in the new order that they talked about and they said well we're pretty good people we don't steal or lie I, said, I don't doubt that but how would you prevent a power takeover in the future? And they said, well, when that time comes, we'll work on it. And I said, well, how are we going to house the masses of people? What methods will you use? They said, well, when that time comes, we'll work on it. So I said, well, look, I'd help any organization, anywhere in the world, Haiti, Africa, anywhere, to help them build a new society. So I said, let's start a technical branch and work on how to prevent corruption and how to mass housing and do away with most of the problems uh, which are common to a pro- monetary system. And they said, not they, but the guy directing the young communist race, he said, you're deviating from the teachings of Marx. I said, I may be doing that, but I'm only trying to help you prevent problems in the future. They said, well, you'll have to leave. So the vice president of the Young Communist League said, let's hear him out. And they kicked us both out. They asked us leave because we were deviating. I don't know what that means, but I thought that the guy in charge was not very bright because I only came to help. I would help any organization anywhere in the world, including the American Nazi Party or the Ku Klux Klan. In other words, if they're confused and they don't have any relevant solutions to problems, I will help. I'm kind of international in my point of view. I would like to pledge allegiance to the earth and all the people on it, not any single nation. I think they're all basically corrupt
1: right yeah i've heard you say that and I, I have to tell you i i tend to agree um and uh, i also wanted to ask a little bit um you know we we definitely talk a lot about you know your ideas shock um what what people influenced you i mean like if you were going to recommend books other than your own like to try to give people an idea of where your ideas came from what what, what authors influenced you oh well,
0: what- i would recommend a, a book by it depends on how well-read the reader is, but a, a deep book would be Science and Sanity by Alfred Korzybski. Another book, Tyranny of Words by Stuart Chase. Another book, Language in Thought and Action. I think it's S.I. Hayakawa. I would uh, recommend a book called In the Shadow of War by Shostak. Uh, he's a sociologist, and uh, I would recommend books like "Rats, Lies, and History, which is very interesting. But none of these books really cover the social system. They deal with aspects of, uh, of the problem. All the books on the book list that I recommend really do not touch the social system. I don't know why. I don't think many college professors are aware that that most of the problems are caused by an established society. They don't seem to grasp that. Some of them think it's in the genes. There are some geneticists are looking for the Republican or Democratic genes or the gay genes. I'm more of an environmentalist. I think that if you were raised in the deep south, you people speak with a southern accent. If you were raised in Germany under Hitler as a baby, if you never saw anything else, I believe you'd become a Nazi. Unless you have relatives or read books that disagree with that point of view. So I'm a great believer, I'm not a believer, but I do accept the phenomenon of environment. I can see how a person raised in the France would speak like a Frenchman. And if you're raised in Sicily, he would speak with an Italian accent. It seems so obvious that environment gives us our set of values, facial expressions, etc. cetera.
1: Right. Um, now, as far as, like, um, you know, did, would you say you had any mentors when you were younger, any, like, really influential people, like, maybe uh, that helped, like bring about these values. I mean, like you said, we are products of our environment. What was the environment of Jacques Fresco that created uh, uh, the environment? that
0: influenced me was Thorstein uh, Devlin, theory of a leisure class. I'll give you a whole list of books now that you can, if you can get hold of them. Well, the
3: list is on our website,
0: mm-hmm.
3: so that people can find it in um, the ebook and in free document downloads. Oh, one
0: I wanted to say that the books I would point out as very significant is "Response in the Living and Non-Living" by Sir Jagata Chandra Bose. Okay. Uh, I would say that uh, "The Cerebral Code" by Calvin. Uh, bodily changes in in pain hunger. Fear and Rage by Walter B. Cannon.
1: Right.
0: The Money Masters by Carmack. The Money Masters points out uh, the real corruption in the monetary system and points out that the Federal Reserve System is not federal; it's a private institution. And then I would recommend Nanotechnology by Crandall. I would recommend many other books, but you can get the books on the website.
1: Okay, excellent. Um, now I would also
0: recommend a book called The Shape of Things to Come by H.G. Wells. Wells really had a good vision, but when they made the motion picture, they really left out all the social stuff. I don't know why Wells didn't complain, but they really didn't show his real Underlying criticism of the economic system. They didn't touch that. I guess Hollywood was afraid.
1: Now, um, in addition to all of this, um, you know, we 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 definitely, you know, thank you for giving me all those recommendations. Um, You know what my background is, and you know, of course, a lot of my friends uh, in the Libertarian Party are interested to know. Did you ever read any books on Austrian economics? And what are your what, are, what is your opinion of that philosophy of economics?
0: Well, I stay away from economics because uh, I think that any kind of monetary system will eventually become corrupt, or always is corrupt. I've never known of any experiments with a monetary system where senators weren't paid off or influential people didn't really run the government. They really managed propaganda news. And as I watch every newscast, they all seem to be based on the and support of the established system. There's rarely any newscast that points out the shortcomings of our system and offers possible alternatives. I've never heard any system. That offers alternatives to the system. I, I am really not concerned with the working class or unions because if unions get a higher salary, the price of the car goes up. So it only serves the members of the union. I want a, in a social system that elevates everyone, but there's no special class. And I really believe that the genius project that the wealthiest person today would be better off in the business project than they would be in free enterprise. I mean, the standard of living would be much higher. I also believe that the middle class of almost any technical country lives better than kings. They have radio air conditioning in their cars, cell phones, and then of people would say to me, well, you have a good paper from nothing, and that would kill incentive. That's the major criticism I get. And I just want to say this. Just being born in America, you got the telephone, the radio, television, wireless, all for nothing. Just being born here. Now that doesn't hurt anybody. That's an illusion. If the people got things for nothing, you got life for nothing. You got the oceans, the beautiful sunset, and the clouds, and nature, all for nothing. You didn't do anything to make... The automobile, or the telephone, or the airplane—you got all that just being born in America. And the more things that are developed wherever you're born, is an asset to human beings. And when I look at machines not as evil things. I look at machines as have extension extensions of human attributes.
1: Okay. Um... Now, some of the uh, – now that I basically – I totally understood where you were coming from, and I you already know I've already given up on the free market concept. I, I was just curious if you had ever uh, read any of the, the Ayn Rand or the, the various Austrian economic authors that so many libertarians enshrine. Um, I,
0: I don't really read them because if I don't see any descriptions of their social design, how it's going to work. How are we going to do away with serial killers? What are you going to do with people that commit crimes? How do you alter human behavior? Without any of that, there's no information to me. I right. consider information uh, methods of solving problems. In other words, uh, I have a building designed for hurricanes. It looks like an inverted uh, cone, and no hurricane can pick up an inverted cone. That would be the solution. Now, I see signs where people say drive carefully, slippery when wet. I don't like that. I'd rather put a bracelet in the highway, bank the highway, so it's not slippery when wet. Right. In other words, if you don't look at solutions if you just criticize the free enterprises and the banking system, that's only one small part of the job. What is your suggestion? What is your alternative? And if you don't like to do this project, what is it that you don't like about it what do you feel won't work in other words don't say well you'll never see that you're a utopian right. i'm not a utopian i don't believe that it's possible to arrive at a final system i believe that all systems are transitional and will all change i believe there are no final frontiers and i don't believe there's any such thing as intelligent people because like i said before an intelligent aeronautical engineer of 75 years ago couldn't get a job today so what do you mean by intelligence it's an ongoing process and we are not civilized yet as long as you have law military systems prisons, police you you're not a civilized nation and we will not be civilized until all the nations of the world join together in a common heritage of all the earth's resources. That's the beginning, to me, of a civilized age. As long as there are separate nations that are gunning for the position of maximum control, when we go to other countries, I don't believe we go there to bring democracy. I we go there for all, or we go there to exploit their resources, or exploit their people. That's why all nations are very suspicious of anyone that comes to their country that we've come to bring democracy. They don't trust you because of the years of abuse by other nations trying to superimpose their value system upon another nation. Now we are trying to bring Jesus Christ to many of the South Sea Islanders, and they have their own beliefs and they're satisfied with their beliefs, unless they ask you to come over and talk to them about differences of opinion. And since they don't ask you, and they don't really want your value system, they will eventually adopt whatever system works. I have seen cell phones all through China when we went there, all the people who use them, and I've seen cell phones in uh, Dubai. I've seen you know, technology is really creeping in, and let them themselves evolve their social system unless they ask you for help.
1: We saw solar right. cells on camels in the desert. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and I, I totally understand. And to be honest, um, I've read some of the the free market stuff myself, obviously. And the funny thing is, is it was the more I read about it, was the more the, the weaker it got, and the the less of a hold it had on me because. Uh, first of all, uh, the, the, the free market, it, uh, the Austrian economists, for example, reject the idea of using the scientific method to analyze the economy, claiming that there are far too many variables uh, to ever get any real statistics about how an economy works. So they suggest instead that they use deductive logic, uh, which in my opinion is just a fancy way of saying they guess. Um, <laughs> so I never... I, I never, uh, by any means, ever thought that you would ever agree with Austrian economics. I was just curious because you know, they they bother me endlessly because they act as though if if you read this book suddenly your mind would change. But I read it myself and I can hear your voice going, "What? No scientific method? That's ridiculous. You're going to guess? That doesn't make any sense." You know, it's just uh, you know, I guess I'm just I'm just too Venus-projected at this point. Um.
0: Scientists, like everybody else, are victims of culture. They tend to personify the establishment. Otherwise, uh, you know, the scientists didn't identify with the country they wouldn't work on weapons of war. If a man as a scientist, I cannot understand how anyone can be a chemist or a structural engineer without asking questions like, how does our social system operate? Why are there depressions? What makes a serial killer? What are social oscillations? Why do we have booms and busts? A scientist today hard, There's hardly a person that I would call a scientist, unless they're, they're multidisciplinarians, unless they read many books on many different subjects. You can't be a scientist and just be a structural engineer, or a chemist, or a biologist. A biologist be interested in sociology, anthropology, space science, many other things. You can't stop within a limited vision. Those are not scientists, they're no specialists. A scientist to me would be a person whose concerns are being the majority of people, taking care of the environment, and bridging the difference between nations, not by force, not by debate, but by dialogue.
1: Well, um, you know, definitely, you're definitely preaching to the choir with me. Um, and uh, you know, overall, uh, I would say that um, the, the the large lessons that I learned, uh, a lot of it just had to do with the fact that I was actually talking uh, with the other two gentlemen about this before you got in, was that it always seemed to me that the people who thought that the capitalist system was the solution were always the ones who were doing just fine. Um, <laughs> you know, the the ones who are on the top, looking down at people. You know, the ones who can drive by and see homeless people on the side of the road and still think that the capitalist system is working just fine. Um, And I guess, you know, a large part of that is like, you know, as you've already said, you know, they're conditioned to kind of believe that, you know, the strong will survive. And so therefore it's okay that, you know, you have these people over here that are, you know, are doing this. Um, uh, Recently uh, I actually read a book called economics in one lesson uh, because somebody was trying to refute your ideas of technological unemployment um, it was a book that was written back in 1946, and uh, the guy tried to claim that economic um, uh, that economic unemployment was a myth, that it was a fallacy. Uh, they like to say fallacy a lot in the free market group, I might add. Okay, um, that it was a myth and a fallacy because if you, for example, were to make sewing machines to make more clothing, well, then – There would be more jobs because then you'd have to, you know, even though it would put, you know, thousands of people out of work making clothing, it would put more people into work making those sewing machines. And, you know, I generally, what I have to deal with with these people is that most of the books that they consult are from like a really long time ago. when we didn't really have a grasp of like what technology can do now. Um, And as a result, you end up in these situations where I basically just had to explain to him, I'm just like, so you're not really taking into account the fact that the likelihood is, is that the guy who made the sewing machines is also using better machines to automate that work. You know, it, it pretty much just the, the house of cards kind of collapsed in on itself. But people still believe in these archaic excuses about how the capitalism is supposed to work. Um, you know, and uh, so in any case, uh, you know, I'm, thank you for answering all that. I know that we've been through it before, and I, I know that you've answered it many times before. Um, I guess um, the the next question that I would bring up uh, that people have talked about, and I know the answer. I know what you're going to say, but I, I do want to let the listeners be able to ask questions. Do you feel that the United States is going to fall? Do you, do you feel that our country is going to fall?
0: I think that all systems undergo change, not just the United States. You can't have any single system. You can't design a laptop computer that's the best. You can only design the best that we know of up to now with what we know. The free enterprise system had its time in social evolution. All systems changed, and most of them are gone. And so all systems undergo evolution in terms of their own social structures. And so whether you have a revolutionary group, the people are abused too much, you get uprisings. The only way we can put down the uprisings is by military control, sometimes called fascism. If fascism won out, that would undergo change eventually. So no system can freeze. You can't design the best automobile. You can only design the best automobile under the conditions of the present day with what we know. Next year or the year after, things continue to change. Modes of transportation from railways or locomotives to uh, levitated trains, you know. Uh, there is no road of free society. There was one time when ancient Egypt was applied to the world, you know. But all that's gone, and so there's no way that you can free society, even with fascism, it will undergo change. Now, I would rather not live through fascism, so I would rather make films and help people to take the next step forward and raise people to accept change, both intellectually and emotionally. Don't ever try to freeze the system then other nations will pass us by. If we can't make the most appropriate decisions, we will become a second-rate nation. We have to be at the forefront of technology. Some people tell you write like your congressmen or like your senators or have them act on your behalf. First of all, what are these people doing up there? How do they get their job? Your politicians should be at the forefront of technology. You don't have to right them. Like I have said many times, when you travel on an ocean liner, you don't have to write the right to captain, he knows his business. You don't have to write the right to navigator, he knows his business. So when you fly on an airplane, you don't have the right to the pilot or phone him and tell him he's been flying in the wrong direction for an hour and a half. That is a very highly improbable condition. So I think that in the evening society, where politicians were no longer people that said things people liked to hear, but people that spoke honestly about the system, where we can go, and never tell people this is the greatest country on earth. You tell them that America has many wonderful characteristics, but this is our shortcoming. We have the largest prison population in the world. Our job security is threatened by new inventions. So when we have new machines come out, we shorten the workday for people. We increase their vacation time to one month rather than two weeks. And as better machines come out, you put an end to repetitious work and boring jobs. So we have no limit or no final frontiers or no blueprint as to human rights. They have to be built in the system. Not pay proclamations.
1: um now another one of my uh listeners uh, was referring to um uh, your your journey to the South pacific, I believe it was when you, you met those islanders who kind of lived in a refor- resource based economy um and they were they were kind of suggesting you know it had it ever occurred to you perhaps that it might be easier to to upgrade these kinds of people like to give your technological ideas to people who already live like that, and that, perhaps, you know, would they be more receptive to the idea of, you know, I guess that, that's essentially what the question was, was, you know, had it ever occurred to you that you might be able to share your ideas with those kinds of people? I mean, I know they're they're primitive islanders, but their their philosophy perhaps might be easier to convert than some of the other people you've dealt with.
0: They already did. When I went to the South Seas, I noticed that the natives used to, at least the women that operate the athletic canoes, they would throw a basket down under the water, and the native swimmers would put various types of lobsters in, in a net, in a container, and pull on the rope, and the women would pull, and pull it up. So what I did is I made a pair of what looked like salad tongs, so I can pick up the lobsters fast and put them in a basket. I'd pick it up three times as fast as any natives, and I showed them, how to make these salad tongues so they can pick up lobsters and put them in a the basket fast. That's why they had to watch the way they grabbed the lobster. You see what I mean? So I found that primitive people can learn just as fast, high-tech, if it serves their needs. So when we sign treaties with other nations, if a treaty doesn't serve the needs of that nation or even our own nation, we will violate those treaties. We are not sane or reasonable. We only make laws in an attempt to control human behavior.
1: Excellent, excellent. You know, that is, in fact, one of my favorite stories uh, that you told. Um, that's like right up there with the, the part of the Zeitgeist presentation in New York when Peter played that video of that uh that scientists who had discovered that apes would change their behavior, that, you know, that there was, it was kind of a, you know, big spit in the face of the idea of human nature. Um, What I usually tell my listeners is that uh, human nature, the only real human nature is that people will do whatever it takes to survive. And if you affect the environment, then obviously you will change that behavior. Now, um, were there any, like, I guess, serious turning points for you um, that made you come to this conclusion, or can you think of like one moment in particular when you finally said, this is the idea, this is what I'm going to go with, and, and yes. did, you, did you convert from anything else to get there?
0: The Great Depression, I lived through that, and when I saw millions of people literally sleeping in every empty lot, they are good people, and when the bank failed, they couldn't pay off the houses or the cars they bought, and they were asked to leave after a certain amount of time, I think it was two or three weeks, when they couldn't make payments. They were sloping in every empty lot, and the people said, well, I guess there's a recession on. They didn't understand that the design of our economic system resulted in recession. They thought, I guess, things were bad, you know. They had no way of looking at it. And they said, well, good times are right around the corner. That is, Herbert Hoover said that. But he never described how, how we would go back to work. What brought us back to work, it's not that good times are around the corner that the Germans were building armaments, the Spaniards and the Japanese. And so we got tremendous military orders and that pulled us out of repression, not a rebound of the economic system. This is the first time in American history where we had wars going on and there was a depression. Wars always pulled us out, but not this time. Think about it.
3: I wanted to further that story that I've heard from Jack before, too, when he went through the Depression. Uh, People were sleeping in in the streets and in tents, and they were good people. They just lost their houses because they couldn't pay. They lost their jobs. And they didn't have any money in the in their pockets, but there were still goods in in the store windows, and people still had the the farms still existed, and people still had the technological knowledge to make things, but they just lost their jobs. So he realized it was the rules of the game that we play by that were really screwed up, that needed to be changed.
0: The free enterprise system is really part of social evolution. All societies, first you have kings and dictators, and that falls apart because the people in control have always been too selfish. They don't even know how to be functional. If you raise a standard of living for everybody, you have more research in heart disease, cancer, uh, cystic fibrosis. So I would say that a well-educated public is the best investment. Excellent.
1: Excellent. now somebody here kind of has a bit of a transition question. Uh, in the event of a complete economic crash, how can we command resources for our resource based economy if our currencies have no commanding power?
0: Well, when the system breaks down like General Rose and Chevy will fold. But if you use the public funds to bail them out, you'll only do rain and making more pain for people we are giving all the money to the people that created the problem in the first place if you let this system fold it'll become all of the factories and everything will, will, will be taken over by the government if they can survive so all we're doing is delaying the takeover the takeover by the government will have to call upon people that are capable of operating a new society the new society may be a cross between socialism, communism, and free enterprise. That is called kind of a liberal society. That won't work. That will crash also until all of the nations join together and stop building armaments which will bleed any nation into bankruptcy. Using our finest minds to make weapons of destruction is really the maximum expression of human stupidity. We would train soldiers to become problem solvers and do away with the idea of human killing machines, which is what a soldier is. You know, people say to me, when a guy bombs a village, I wonder if he sleeps well at night. He sleeps very well at night if he give him a medal for bombing the village. Do You understand? Yeah. People used to sacrifice their own children to volcanoes or any natural catastrophe they would sacrifice their own children because they're brought up to do that
1: you know that That's actually
0: is part uh, of the
1: culture right um that actually brings me to another thing that i i think is very important about the venus project and i, I encounter this all the time um i actually asked you this question on on a, an earlier show but i, I think that it kind of got lost in the shuffle but um, when I read the section of the book, The Best That Money Can't Buy, uh, about education um, as a parent, it really changed my my ideals about a lot of things. But it also, it like you know, one of the things that people panic about, Alex Jones in particular, panicked about this. You want to reeducate people, you know, and uh, it, never mind the fact that that's what Infowars is all about. is supposedly you know reeducating people and you know all that other jazz. But um, I'm not going to even give that guy any more of my breath for the moment. Um, now. When it comes to education in the Venus Project, one of the things I usually have to refute with people is that they think that in some way people are going to be set to a mold, and I usually have to correct them, and I say, no, Jacques' concepts of education encourage critical, analytical, and independent thinking. Now, can can you elaborate a little bit on what an early child's life would be like in the Venus Project that would make them into these powerful thinkers? No,
0: I can they to do that. I can just say that... Professions that really do not serve the well-being of people will be outgrown or surpassed, such as investment banking, uh, advertising, uh, sales personnel, commercials on TV, all that will vanish. And all the professions that add nothing to the culture, such as politics, will disappear. And the professions of the future are really professions you've never heard of. Actually, it'd be nanotechnology, systems engineering, computer sciences. This is the future. Environmental studies, reclamation of the environment, restoring the reefs in the ocean, oceanography. All the professions of the future will be about the Earth and our relationship to the environment and to one another. The rest will be bullshit. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I love your French there, Mr. Fresco. Um, and and I, I guess also, I mean, though, when you're when in early childhood, what would be different about an early child and, you know, and their and their learning process? Uh, than well, the, the, I would know, the my
0: father being an agronomist or an agriculturist, if you don't know what that is, he was one of the first guys laid off. And he couldn't get a job. He really tried, and we were evicted from our house because the bank failed. My father didn't have much money in the bank, but he had enough to pay the rent. But when they failed, he was ousted. And he was a very nice guy, and he really tried to get a job, and he couldn't. And I noticed that with so many people. And uh, that's when I began to feel that our system maybe was good at a certain time, but it had long out its usefulness talking about education for for children in the Venus uh, Education for children in the Venus Project would be about the sciences and the professions that were needed to build a better world, a system of evaluation that would take into account not the opinions of politicians, but they do a survey of the carrying capacity of each regional division of the earth and maintain a population in accordance with the carrying capacity of each geographical region. This way, if our population exceeds that, you're going to have starvation, territorial disputes, and children will be educated in geography, geology, astronomy, all of the technical fields. Some people think that well children can't understand that, so they give them Dickie Dair and his sheep, little Red Riding Hood, jack as the Beanstalk. no now kids can learn anything and if you start giving them that garbage when they're young and religion you're doing taking taking people and creating refugees from reality
1: i totally agree with you and that's actually you you, you absolutely totally hit that out of the park and that's why i tell people that they're full of it when they say that you know the Venus Project would create, like, you know, human robots when I point out that, in fact, it, you know, it cultivates the best of humanity uh, through education in the earliest years, um, you know, that by cultivating that independent, that, you know, that spark. People talk about motivation, uh, you know, like, are we going to have motivation you know, without money? And I said, you know, my motivation is dead. I don't want to go to the job that I have right now. My wife doesn't want to go to the job she has right now. You know, and I haven't wanted to do any job, that I've
0: been in my You're in life. A trap. You are trapped.
1: Exactly. You can't
0: do anything. You have to work to pay the rent. So I would say that they talk about motivation. Without money, there'd be very little motivation. Take Martin Luther King. He wasn't offered $10,000. He marched for equal, equal rights or black rights or Afro-American rights. You take Gandhi. Nobody gave him $50,000. To try to break from India, to try to uh, free England, uh, to try to free India from England. Uh, he, he did that because he believed in it. Now, there are many people, Mother Teresa, uh, she wanted to work because she was concerned about people. She was not given any money to do that. Now, we take a lot of people, work real hard, there are doctors without borders that work and save up money and use their own money to go to undeveloped countries and help sick people because they have no money. Well, what motivates those people? Well, they say, there's too few people like that, most of them are crucified by society. If people began to talk about the well-being of others, then they go, what are you, some kind of communist? They did such a good job of criticizing people that criticize the economy. They did a good job to keep you in line. They lie continuously. For example, every news broadcast is managed. I've never seen a sociologist on any major broadcast or a person that was interested in social psychology to tell you that war is harmful, wrong, it's dangerous, it's a waste of resources, it has no useful purpose. In other words, you do not have points of view on the air all well, you've got is military advisors on the air all the time and people that are part the establishment. A democracy would have every point of view on the air. pro free enterprise, against free enterprise, neutral, communistic, socialistic, fascistic, all religions on Sunday and non-religions. That's a democratic society where you let the public listen to all points of view and they can turn it on or off. We don't have that and that's called control society or manage society or manage news.
1: Now, um, another question and this is another transition question and Roxanne, maybe you can help, you know, just to make sure that, you know, Jacques is clear on what it is I'm asking because I know he's a bit hard of hearing. Um, But basically people are wondering, okay, so let's say that everything collapses and we're trying to rise from the ashes. Now, How do we pick – because I know that eventually we have no leaders. Eventually we have no leaders. Eventually most major decisions are made by computer. Now, as we're leading up to that, you know, in the early phases of this transition, how do we govern ourselves? Who will our leaders be in those circumstances? Do we elect them democratically? Do we use direct democracy?
3: It would be a group of people that could manage certain jobs there wouldn't be people that are in government that oversee what you do. But if you want to, say, go to the moon, you don't ask your uncle who's a tailor. You search, seek out people who have studied, who have experience, who, who, um, who have knowledge in, in that direction. So that's what we would do in every step, step of the way until we automate
1: things. How would those people be chosen is usually the next question people usually ask.
0: Well, I usually ask PJ to get people that want to participate to use the Internet and start looking up uh, building materials that are porous, lightweight, long-lasting, no outgassing, and start compiling information on volunteers that are engineers, geologists, that want to work with the Venus Project. Start building up a collection of data a database so we can refer to it.
3: We're going to start that soon. We are doing it in, in small ways on Zeitgeist's website. We're going to be expanding that.
1: Oh, I'm definitely looking forward to that. And I know a lot of people are, are very, very uh, anxious to get started on how they can hopefully help you. I've actually got a couple of friends of mine that are engineers. I'm hoping to talk to them soon. Um, and I guess um, now... We have had, you know, you, I know you've a, you've answered this before already. Uh, if you want to elaborate on it, go ahead. But um, people have asked in the past, what kind of professions should they be studying now to try to help the Venus project happen? You know, is it engineering? Is it, you know, I mean, uh, is there anything else perhaps that people could do to the try Venus to do it?
0: sciences, programming, robotics, mass production, transportation systems that use cleaner sources of energy. Methods of generating electricity without the use of fossil fuels, uh, and uh, using wave power, wind power, uh, differential temperature, differential—there are many ways of generating power. Any and concentrators?
3: Any of the physical sciences are good to study.
1: Excellent, excellent. Um, and um, now. I, I some people have stated um falsely, obviously now now I remember you talking about that the fact that you'd had inventions that ended up getting used can Can you describe to the audience a few of the inventions that you came up with that were used? I know that you said a lot of them were usually patented by somebody else, but like what what could uh, you know like what Jacques fresco inventions do you know are still in use today or at least were in use for a while?
0: Design of new cities that are efficient that have built-in transportation. The middle of the city would have medical care.
3: Inventions you have designed that people use today. um,
0: Lots of surgical instruments, hundreds of different types of surgical instruments, electronic devices for for medicine, uh, aircraft safety devices. Um, I've been a consultant to various industries and the systems uh, what they call systems engineering, time and motion studies. In other words, I didn't like that because I got more motion out of people in less time. I made the workbench round so that everything they needed was within reach. But that didn't serve the people. It made them turn out more products in less time. I was really serving industry. They did not shorten the workday. They did nothing that would benefit people. It seemed that industry was only interested in profit, and people would only invest in industries that showed a profit. If the industry had a great deal of social concern, they weren't in business very long.
3: He also uh, did the first airbag. He did the jet ski. but a lot of, he, had, he had a lot of designs, but a lot of them he sold them outright so he could just go back to the lab and, and work on more interesting things.
0: I designed a lot of products engineering products, uh, drafting products, prefabricated houses, automobiles, um, different methods of of viewing stereoscopic motion pictures without the use of glasses, a lot of things like that. Aircraft safety devices, mainly anti-icing equipment in which we charge a probe sticking out in front of the airplane which discharge electrons into the snow and rain, and the leading edge of the wing had the same charge, so it repelled water off the wing. And that did away with ailerons, elevators, and rudders on airplanes. So you can discharge electrons from the wingtip for turning and banking. This way, when you cut into the airplane structure, you weaken the structure yes. when you put ailerons in.
3: Some lab just came upon that uh, several years ago and patented that thinking that they were the first ones to arrive at that he also did aircraft wings new wing devices
0: which were patented by the united states army air force and douglas aircraft company and north Division of douglas yeah they own your inventions they own everything you ever think of whether you're on the job or not did you know that
1: uh no i didn't
0: well that's a shame but anyway, there's a lot of wonderful American inventors that make up new things in their garage and sell it to General Motors and General says and now General Motors brings you the new copyright. Actually, it's really inventors on the outside that sell their ideas to corporations.
3: Don't they have departments and corporations that just look at, New inventions that people send in, and then they just change it a little bit and come out. Well, with sometimes
0: it. that happens, and usually inventors don't have the money to fight back. When the ballpoint pen came out, two or three companies started to make point pens, then twenty-five companies, then a hundred companies, and nobody can afford to tackle that job. So right. you really don't have very much protection if you're poor.
1: That's, yeah, you know, I, I remember telling people because they always want to, you know, they always want to see, you know, they want you to, like, be more forthcoming with giving up your designs and things like that. And I usually tell them the stories of all the various things that have essentially been stolen, uh, you know, from you directly. Um, now, uh, it, another question that has come up a lot, actually, in the chat room is people are interested about your previous um, experiences with Larry King um, I guess they said that you were on Larry King more than once, but they can only find footage of the of one of your times on Larry King. Um, is there anywhere that, that information, like, could they go see you with Larry King, um, you know, in, in any of your later shows with him? And more to the point also, um, have you considered going back on Larry King?
0: Well, it isn't up to me. It's up to Larry King. And those of you people out there who like the Genius Project, why don't you write to CNN, Larry King, all the broadcasting are going to say, why don't you have this alternative point of view on the air? I think that, according to PJ, 20 million people now know about the Dreamers Project. More so like if you 50. talk about... What's that? More like 50. 50 sorry. million? Well, yeah. so, if Not that's more. so, then you we'll tell that to the broadcasting Of course, they're interested, but they've never heard of me. Just tell them that France and many other countries, China, Dubai have and Turkey, and Vienna, have all published the Venus Project, including the Irish Entrepreneur Magazine,
3: it would be, so it's
0: being published all over the world now.
3: It would be very helpful if people write um, shows like Oprah, or um, news shows, or Larry King, and, and demand that they put on Jack Fresco, or or the Venus project. Something about the Venus Project. Uh, universities. Mm-hmm. Right. Also universities, students in universities ask that that he speaks
1: there. Yeah, that's definitely something I'll be working on as well. And also I'm planning on trying to get you guys in touch with some of the politicians that I know. And I know that the political system is is obviously not on our agenda because we kinda want to get past it. But you know, the the more exposure you get the better at that point. Um, now uh I guess the next question I would ask uh it just has more to do with um uh where things are going now I mean like also when you're talking about other countries what- what countries have you had the most luck in as far as explaining this to you know are, you know because there's got to be countries you've had more luck with than the United States. I know you've had a lot of trouble with trying to get through to people here
0: well, I can describe that uh, when we were invited to Vienna, I was given ten minutes to present my concept. When we were invited to Dubai, I never got to meet the prince. I was supposed to. When we were invited to China, we never got a chance to speak at the university to 1,500 students, which they promised me. But apparently they said that the guy that sent for us in China ran away with the money of the return tickets of the other people we invited. So we never got a chance to present it. But wherever we got over an hour to present our concepts, the country, like Ecuador, said, will you design the Museum of the Future? Turkey said, we want to start a Venus Project. We would like to send our science students to your lab in Venus, Florida, so we can talk to them about it. Whenever I was given enough time, the country fell in line immediately. I cannot, in 10 minutes, describe the Venus Project.
1: Excellent. Well, yeah, I totally get it, and that, that was clear also, you know, in our own presentation when we were in Michigan. Um, you know, uh, you know, I'm when glad to hear – go ahead.
3: Yeah, you know, when we were in Turkey, uh, when Jack got on CNN Turkey, as soon as he got on once, all the other news broadcasts wanted to have him on, and they did. All Practically all the magazines, the good magazines in Turkey wrote beautiful stories and put our pictures on there, too. So he really had a lot of publicity in Turkey when he spoke and was very well received.
1: Well, excellent. um I'm glad to hear that actually and the The funny thing is is that um you know that a lot of the people from other countries that I meet, and that's one of the reasons why I do my show, I try to get panelists from all over the world to try to you know give people the understanding that you know we're all human beings um you know, and that we are not just people from individual countries. Um, you know, and I'm glad to hear that things are going well in Turkey. Now, now you said that they were sending students, uh, has that happened? Is it going to happen? I mean, that would be excellent.
3: It may. The university there wanted to do that.
1: Okay. Excellent. Um, now, uh, okay. I guess trying to think of stuff that you guys haven't been asked before, is t- tends to be difficult because you really, you know, I have listened to a lot of your interviews um, I guess uh, I would kind of turn it over, and w- I'm going to say, uh, Jacques. Um, you know, you're, it's good that we can try to get you into the mainstream media. That would all, you know, that would all be great. And I believe you said something about the United Nations at one point. Um, what, what would what would it take for us to be able to get you uh, before the United Nations? Is that even like a, a possibility that you know, something that could really happen, or what?
0: Well, we were invited to speak at the united nations indigenous people like indians and people up the amazon river really there's nothing much i can do with that but if you write to the united nations the proper department and just say everybody seems to talk around the problems rather than about the problems and if you really want a fresh viewpoint of what the un can do to make the world safer and sustainable Send us an invitation to address the u n on sustainable global society.
1: Well, definitely sounds good to me. I'd like to have a word with a few of those people myself um, I'm going to also suggest to the listeners uh, if you have any questions for Mr. Fresco that you don't feel that I've managed to ask, I know that you're asking them in the chat room um, It's really hard to follow with all of the with all of the spam because everybody's just talking um now uh if you guys would like to call in, um I'd be more than happy to give you an op- you know, opportunity to, to call you know talk to Mr. Fresco yourself. The phone number is three four seven nine four five seven seven four seven. That's three four seven nine four five seven seven four seven. Um now Somebody people uh They were talking about patents. Uh, I'm just scanning through here to see if there was anything that was, you know, that wasn't covered. Um, protecting inventors. They were basically kind of commenting on what you were saying. Oh yes. Somebody wanted to know how long did it take for you to build the uh, the, the Venus Project house uh, that you guys live in? How long did that project take?
3: Well, we really have ten buildings here, and we have three residents. It could have been in a short time, but we didn't borrow any money from the banks, and we just did things when we had our next job. So it took us many, many years. But if we had the funding up front, it wouldn't take that long. And if we made molds for the buildings initially, we, couldn't, we didn't have enough funding to do that. If we're able to make molds, you could lay the houses like eggs in a matter of hours.
0: We couldn't even put up the kind of buildings we wanted to. We only can put up what we can afford. Do you understand that?
1: No, I totally very few get it.
0: People drive the kind of car they want to drive. They drive what they can afford. I know very few people that live in the kind of house they want to live in. They live in what they can afford. So what good is freedom if you don't have access to what you know is
1: better? Jack, it looks like we have a caller. Uh, caller yeah, from the 423 area code, you're on the air.
4: Hi, how are you doing?
1: Doing great. great.
4: Well, I'm calling from a cell phone, so I don't know if you can hear me very well or not. But I just we wanted to you? say, I'm actually very closely linked to both Brian and Chris, and I just kind of wanted to give them a shout out. This is coming from Georgia, You know, just to be absolutely honest with you guys, a lot of the people I work with or am surrounded by on a daily basis have no idea what this Venus Project is. And my connection to Brian has allowed me to introduce it just via the website, you know, and Brian's blogs and introduce this idea. And I I feel like at least I'm a young adult. The youth that I come into contact with are so inspired by their inspiration, you know, to just abandon everything and not settle for just a mundane, routine life and check out something that's a just a greater cause. And I, I, just hearing Jacques speak, like I said, I was kind of unaware of the Venus Project, and then my brother gets all involved in it, and it's just kind of taken. It seems like it's taking our nation by storm when you listen, you know, just to you guys and everything you know about it and how kind of hyped you guys are about it and I think it's just incredible like you said it instills hope and he lived through this depression and has been there and seen things and and still has hope for our nation and I think some of the ideas may honestly be a little over my head at times but I'm just inspired and I think it's an amazing thing Brian and Chris did because now so many people in my sector of the you know my small sector of the world Have now found out what this is because two guys happened to just go on a crazy road trip. So I just wanted to say thank you for supporting them and having them on and asking Jacques all those amazing questions that inform listeners what is the Venus Project truly.
1: Well, thank you. Um, Did you have any questions or was it just kind of a call for support?
4: It was for support, and honestly, I was just going to ask some of the things you asked Jacques because. Like I said, I was a little in the dark until my brother embarked on this trip. So you, you really ask some g- great, great questions for listeners that are still a little confused or unaware of what it really represents.
1: Well, excellent. Talking thing. talking a lot runs in our family.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's totally fine. All right. Well I'm glad I was able to make a connection for you. I do have another caller. Um awesome. thanks for calling in.
4: Thank mm-hmm.
2: you. Love you, Brian. Love you, Chris. <laughs> If I can just interject, you know, going off of what you said earlier about, for instance, uh, you know, getting Jacques before the UN and Larry King, you know, and even what my sister said about the people that she talked to that hadn't heard about the Venus Project, you know, one of the things that I feel is so important about this is really organizing, uh, you know, everyone who is in support of this and coming up with some way of really contacting these media outlets and these organizations such as the UN and these different political um, individuals that people, you know, think could possibly tie into something like or into the Venus Project, you know, and I think that's something that's very important about the Zeitgeist Movement is that's something that they're doing. They're really starting to organize the forces in a way that is potentially very powerful. And you know, if that's if that's one thing that people really focus on, we got to educate people. We got to get this information out there, and we really have to organize ourselves together to make that possible. I think there's
3: a group called the Communications Group on the Zeitgeist Movement, and um, I, I you know I really don't know how it's set up, but people can can join that. And ha- what they're doing is they're trying to get this information out to the media. And I think the more people that that join that will will bring more exposure to this direction.
2: Yeah, it, what we need. it almost needs to be organized in like a mass, on a mass scale because, you know, as the old saying is, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, you know. If people are sitting at home wondering what they can do, it's, it's organized groups of, of, you know, send out emails so that everyone at, at one day or in in one week will email and make calls to all the major media outlets because, if there's some talk about something, you know, that's when they. If, if there's a lot of mass contact happening, right? That's when they tend to, you know, go after those stories.
1: We did that actually to, to quite some effect, also to affect the government um, when we almost got them not to give approve the bailout recently. for in the Ron Paul Revolution, um, now we have a caller actually who I had to connect through Skype. Um, v, you had a question.
5: Um, Yeah, the question is, if we are actually a slate in one sense, if we are a product of our own environment, um, actually in one of Peter Joseph's uh, uh, write-up, or maybe it's Jack Fresco's write-up, he mentioned that uh, uh, the two um, ladies who lived uh, like an hour away from each other, but they experienced the same life, so if we create an environment which is the same, uh, wouldn't the wouldn't we have a, a group think? Wouldn't we all think the same? And so the question would be, where would where would new innovations come from? And uh, the, future,
3: the
0: second question, think where would new innovations come from? We know quite a bit about invention, but uh, all inventions are based upon previous inventions. In other words, there's no such thing as a completely original project. every individual works on things and they bring it up to a certain point. Other people add to it. And so trying to find the original source is very difficult. In your school books, you're told that Leonardo da Vinci was a genius. who was ahead of his time. Actually, your books never show you the meetings you had with other people that talked of gears, levers. No single human can come up with a lot of brand new ideas which are not related to their background. So what is left out in our school books is the connectivity of all inventions. So in the future, knowing that, we can produce an environment that will generate new kinds of incentives to make life better for everyone. And this is what we intend to do, find out what makes what you call a genius or gifted people and build that into the environment so we can turn out a wider range of individuality and creativity. The witness Project is not interested in uniformity or conformity. We are interested in bringing out the best, and every human being throughout the world.
3: And we would design an environment that would give people so many options. We're not interested in people being just having one profession or being a cog on the wheel. We're interested in having people know as much as they can to participate in the culture and, co- and contribute to it. And they would be alike in certain ways. They would care about one another. They would care about the environment and they would have a tremendous amount of inquiry. It's not bad to be alike in certain ways that are constructive.
1: Right, no, I totally get it. Now, did that answer your question? Uh,
5: yes, it did, but a um, second question, which is that what about um, people who are like, disabled, well, they go by disabled, like I'm saying, I'm talking about uh, Kim Peek, uh, the Rain Man, and people like that, so, uh, that's, that question is like kind of related to individuality, because in the C-Day, uh, I think he mentioned that there's no such thing as individuality, that we're just a product of our own environment. So uh, people who are born with all these uh, different type of uh, yeah, evolutionary characteristics, so wouldn't you not consider them to be individuals?
3: What about people born with survival wouldn't group characteristics, wouldn't baby individuals? We
0: think that in the Venus Project, we would give every handicapped person the best opportunities to survive in a high tech society. We would do research to better the lives of everyone, not just a selected few. No more digging up nickels and dimes for research and medicine, we would give every lab whatever they needed to do whatever job they wanted to tackle.
3: He's asking, wouldn't, you know, these, like, the bonds be considered individuals with special abilities?
0: Well, I, we don't do that. We don't select special individuals. We would study the conditions that produce aberrant behavior or excessive types of patterns. Whereby people have uh, very fluid minds in certain limited areas, we would study those conditions and try to better the lives of everyone by studying the conditions that produce aberrant behavior or devious behavior rather than treat people, we would work on the environment. You see, today, mostly, we work on people, psychologists and psychiatrists, work on individuals, but they are products of the environment. So why not work on the environment and eradicate the conditions or outgrow the conditions that produce aberrant behavior?
1: Does that answer your question?
5: Um, yeah, it does answer the question. I questions. <laughs> uh, I don't know if anyone well, else... Knows.
1: um, I don't see anybody else in the queue, so go right in ahead. Okay.
5: Um, the next question is, are you aware of Jordan Maxwell's work? Uh, because I think Peter Joseph uh, used uh, his work for the initial site guides, and um, uh, you guys are talking about...
0: Uh, what particular aspect are you concerned with?
5: Well, all of them it, particularly but uh, mostly the government itself because um, they own the United Nations also they own the people who make the decision so I don't see how they will conform to your views or or you um,
3: what about getting a conform to your
5: views? very good if there are people
0: that don't conform, they can live on their own and do whatever they want to do if there are nations that don't want to join in the global sustainability project, they're on their own. The nations that join together will get the benefits and invention of those nations that agree to cooperate. We never force anyone into any particular mold or groove. You can live any lifestyle you want to, if you want to be on your own, or you can be part of a cooperative social complex we think that would survive the survival value. We think that being on your own self-centered values will cause many
5: problems. They have more things to hide. Uh, anyways, uh, the next question is, uh,
1: Go ahead, B. <laughs> uh, uh, are you still there? You sound good.
5: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there. It was, uh, I forgot my second question. Uh, <laughs> got my third question. Um, Oh yeah. I asked this question earlier in the chat, which is that if, uh, the island that you came uh, with the idea, like I'm talking about, did you ever try to implement a more advanced version? Because, uh, like a more like the one that uh, you pitched to Peter Joseph, or the the one that you pitched pitched to the mass market. Do you plan to? Because since they already have a resource based economy and they have no money, and they're working for free, like couldn't you just say that? Uh, isn't like like we? Isn't it much easier to um, to implement this idea from that location?
3: talking about the South Sea Island that Jack was on? Yes. Is that, I couldn't hear the question too
5: well. Um, I asked this question earlier. What the question is, um isn't it much easier for for Jack to like implement the the Venus project from that island? I'm saying that um, since they already have a resource-based economy, well, isn't it much easier to just upgrade it or maybe create an advanced version of this ...on the South Islands that you
3: were
5: on? Same question? Not at all. It'd be
0: just as difficult as fighting for women's rights or Afro-American rights or Jewish rights. The best thing to do is to stop the patchwork and try to change society or society so we don't have the
3: problem. I don't know if you heard the question, but is it easier to start a resource-based economy on, the, say, the South Sea Islands that you were on? No, yeah,
5: because or because if you already have a sample, like for example, you could say that this is a sample of a, like a mini version of the resource or the Venus Project in uh, in action, and if we, we want to implement this globally, so then so we, this people we could keep
3: years ago also i don't think it's like that anymore even when he was there the the missionaries started to come so i don't think the island's the same as it was and you really can't start a resource-based economy on an island that doesn't have any resources and technology not the type of resource-based economy that we're talking about that would create abundance for everybody with a high standard of living
5: okay uh my second question is um, basically uh like programming is uh, difficult like like uh like to build uh, these uh technologies to build uh, all these robots to build program all this stuff like even for example uh evolution of microsoft uh, It's only like years, from nineteen uh, seventies i mean to now it it hasn't upgraded like to a vast amount but um saying that and basically are you uh, hoping that we want all these hours to just work on the Venus project or is there any like like how how are you gonna for example if the like I'm a programmer but uh, say that I don't have enough money to pay for the houses and stuff like that so do I just come to the Venus projects location in Florida and start helping, uh, helping out by uh, programming? And are you guys going to provide like food and resources and stuff like that for, to meet the basis in the city?
3: No, we're not at that stage where we can have people come here um, and, and give them housing and food to do things. We still live in the monetary system. We have support, Jack and I have supported this direction through outside jobs the last 33 years um we're still, in a way, in the early stages, because we've just started to get exposure. So um, we really, what we need now is exposure to this direction on a massive scale and have enough people understand it. That's our greatest security right now.
1: Okay. Excellent. Um, well, V, I'm down to like near the end of my show, so I'm actually. <laughs> I'm out of questions,
5: oh. so thank you. for All right,
1: good. Thank you for calling in, and I hope that you'll tune into my other shows uh, as we discuss this stuff all the time, so, um, and I answer these questions all the time, too. So, anyway, um, thanks again for, for calling in. Thank
0: you. And we'll see if you can get some original questions next okay. time.
1: I will do my best, Jacques. It's it's kind of difficult because so many people have, have interviewed you and I and I looked at it and I'm like, wow, you know, it, it's it, what am I going to be able to ask you that somebody hasn't well, uh, already? Well,
0: really, the questions that they they would really be concerned with is who makes the decisions, how are they arrived at? What if two people want to build a different type of aircraft? Who decides which will be built, and who has the authority? to decide the shape of cities. In other words, see if they can pinpoint the questions rather than ramble on. In other words, if they write you and pinpoint the question so other people can get a chance to answer questions. And by what authority does anyone decide what is good for people or right for people? How does one go about deciding that? Those are the key questions.
3: Well, you'll have to remember those and have us on again, and Jack will answer those questions. (laughs)
1: I will definitely go out of my way to try to do that. What I will do is probably the same thing that Peter does. I will start a thread on the Zeitgeist uh, Movement um, forums asking for questions, and I will sift through them and try to find ones that I know that you guys haven't answered a dozen times. Um, And uh, I also wanted to update you a little bit. Uh, Peter Joseph actually happened to wander into the chat room for my previous show, Uh, and I got to just interact with him just a little bit, and he had me email him because he wants me to work on the uh, um, lecture circuit. So I thought you guys probably think that was good news.
3: Yeah,
1: Um, good. And and overall, uh, I guess I would have to say, you know, this has been a great show. I want to thank all four of you for coming on. And, I mean, I know that you guys must be getting tired of this by now. I mean, you, you guys have been on over and over and over again at different shows, and, that's actually one of the reasons that I didn't ask you to come on my show right away was I was like, wow, I mean, they're just getting bombarded, you know.
3: <laughs> no, we appreciate that. It's important for us to be on the radio Hmm.
1: Well, um, and as I had said previously, we still are doing our show, our series of reading the best that money can't buy and discussing it with panelists. Um, and if, you know, if you and Jacques would ever like to go on one of those shows and comment on the, the you know, the various the you know, parts of the book that I'm reading, you know, you, of course, would be more than welcome to do that. And I, I said the same thing to Chris and Brian. So, um, you know, once again, uh, I mean, see if I can in any way fit in any other questions from the listeners. Um, we only got like four minutes left, though, so um, it's possible that may not happen. Um, and uh, in the meantime, though, uh, I guess uh, – you know, we've been over a lot of uh, different um, subjects. We've, we've talked a lot about the various innovations. And um, I would have to say, you know, it, really quickly in the four minutes we have left, Jacques, because I love your stories. Can you tell me a story about uh, of all the people that you've ever converted to your ideas? Was there one crowning moment? like of one person that, you know, just lit, you know, it was like something that really made you proud that you were able to convince this person of your ideas. Can you can you think of anybody like that?
0: Well, I don't feel that way about people. I feel that all people are victims of culture and I do my best to reach all people. And to whatever extent they understand it, I deeply appreciate it. And the most people that I've heard that dislike the Venus Project have something to do with their own projections of what they think the Venus Project is. And they project their own values into it from books and movies that they've read, such as 1984, Brave New World, Atlas Shrugged. These are their own projections of communism. Uh, They project their own values into the system They don't even know how to ask questions, and many of them don't even know what the question is.
3: A lot of times when people have objections and they have opinions, it really is strange because it has nothing to do with what the Venus Project really is.
1: Right. No, and I agree with you, and I hope that over the course of the next few shows we'll be able to do that. We're down to the last 90 seconds of our show Thank you all for coming on once again. Thank you all for tuning in. And to the listeners, please do me a favor. Log in. Rate my show. Uh, you know, you could rate it a star from one to five. Leave me comments. Give me feedback. I do this show for you guys. I don't get paid to do this at all. Um, so by all means, come forward. You know, I'm doing this to try to educate people. And um, I will do my best also because I am in contact with Jacques and Roxanne to try to bring the the ideas to the forefront that, you know, have essentially been lost in the shuffle, so to speak. I know that just sifting through the website is not the way some people are good at, um, at learning. So say good night, everybody. Another edition of V-Radio down the pipe. Thanks, Neil.
3: Thank you.
1: Good night. All right. Go spread the word about the resource-based economy for me down there and spend some time in a Venus project building and think of me.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: all right thanks a lot guys thank you
0: right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: well that's it folks um we're down to the last 10 seconds i want to thank all of you for uh listening and um once again these shows are available on archives feel free to link them out i have a whole series of good stuff about the venus project take care